Welcome to a very special episode of Near Mint Comic Radio on Nonproductive. This is, of course, our memorial episode for none other than Stan the Man Lee, uh, who passed away sadly this week. Sad for us, but uh, a magnificent legacy for the man. Um, I honestly cannot picture what comic books would be like without him. I'm Frank. I'm joined in studio by Ken, Pete, Pope, Al, James, and others as they show up. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to reminisce about our, our, our all-time favorite comic book grandpa. You know, I think this should even just goes to show the amount of people in here doing a near mint, which is a call to arms based on what happened this week. Absolutely. It's really cool. It's yeah, really, really yeah. cool. So uh, what can you say about Stan Lee? That, I mean, that anybody else hasn't already said. He is, he is iconic. He helped to create a universe that we all use to define ourselves today. And it's not just the movies that have become rapidly popular in the last decade or two. I think even going back before that, uh, for those of us that remember reading comic books in the the 80s and the very early 90s uh, when you would still see Stan's Soapbox. Yeah, absolutely. That, that wonderful, when they had the, the blurb page with all the news going of what was going on in Marvel, and you always had that little corner where Stan was talking about whatever was on his mind that week. I'm glad you brought that up, Pete, because I kind of want to go through what all our, like, uh, I guess, origin stories with Stan Lee are. Um, I think mine may have been Stan's soapbox. I think that was my first, uh, the first time I became aware that comics were a thing people made. You know, like I remember, so I got comics as hand-me-downs when I was, um, I guess, in elementary school. I don't really remember. I was very young. Mm. Uh, and they were these tattered copies of comics that my my cousin who collected them at the time did not care for anymore because they were so beat up. He was a collector, so he didn't like, all right, these things, I can't read them anymore. They don't even have all their page counts. So here, you could have them. <laughs> so I, like, I think it was incredible Hulk comics that had uh, like a nickel or a dime on the cover, the part of the cover that remained. Um, so they must have been relatively old. They had the old comic ads inside them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it may have been a quarter or something. It was something low enough where I thought, hey, I could afford a bunch of these comics. <laughs> where are these things? And I had no I, like no concept of it at all. Nothing from anyone. Even the cousin who gave it to me like came by proxy of a parent and, a, and, a, and an aunt. And like there was no communication. Five times removed. Is there that was, how that works? There was no communication of what this thing is other than, here, you'll enjoy this. Because you like the Incredible Hulk TV show, because I was really into that. I guess I was a very angry child. <laughs> I just wanted. I tried to be Lou Ferrigno, and they gave me the comics, and then I read Stan Soapbox in some of these, and it was like, oh, this guy did all this. Somehow he's the Willy Wonka of comic book stories. He sits in a company at a factory somewhere, and he turns out these things, and they become real, and then I, I see them, and. It's it's a childlike vision of the world, but in many ways, even if he didn't do it all, he was instrumental in making it all accessible for us. True. Um, one of the things about the, the, the soapbox was how random they could be, too, at times. I remember one where it was just him, just to be able to get one out, saying, Hi, guys, uh, I really can't write anything because we ran out of room, so I'm just writing to say I can't write anything. Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was. He was super approachable in a time that I didn't. I didn't realize that at first, but at a time that I'd later found out 
you're you weren't supposed to reach out to your audience. You weren't you weren't necessarily even supposed to humanize your heroes. Like these heroes were faultless, amazing icons in other comic publishers, and, and you never really knew who was behind the scenes. People were credited strangely in those books where maybe this the original artist was created or the original creator and then all the people working behind the scenes making the sausage never got credit but stanley was very active in saying we're gonna put your name on the cover we're gonna put your name in the credits page you're gonna do fun things we're gonna show you that there's a there's a building somewhere in new york where spider-man I actually thought visited, but also <laughs> the writers and the editors and the artists all worked and made this thing. Mighty real. Marvel bullpen. Yes. I was saying, and, and yeah, exactly. Because not only would they, would he make sure that he would know who worked on him? He would jazz them up. We would have jazzy John Romita, you know, doing pencils <laughs> and you know, it was, it was really fun. Like it, he brought that amount of fun to sit there and go, wait, who are these people that <laughs> they seem so cool with these names that they're given with these nicknames. Yeah. Ralph, not the karate kid macho. <laughs> Stan the Showman was instrumental in putting Marvel on the map and also making comics something that you cared about. And I mean that in that there was a time when comic book creators, like this was a job, right? You you did it nine to five. It was something you did maybe when your like fine arts degree didn't pan out or something. Like it was just something you would do and maybe even be somewhat embarrassed about. You would not put your, you don't want to be known Mm, for making funny books for kids. And Stan went after the teenagers, went after the older people, went after like saying that this is something that's worth talking about and worth representing and worth being proud that you're producing. And that is amazing. And he always sold it with that smile and that mustache, even though he didn't always have that mustache. <laughs> have you seen old pictures of Stan? Yeah, without a mustache? Yeah. It feels oh, weird. It does. It, it doesn't even look wrong. like him. It feels wrong. Stanley, romance comic creator. <laughs> oh god for me it's hard to think of like a time in which stan wasn't present um you know if I, I had to pick something i guess it would be 2002 the first spider-man was probably like the first real marvel thing i saw and was aware of that he he was in and i think my father was like oh that's stan lee he made spider-man and i'm like oh really um but a really interesting story i actually kind of got to meet him uh by accident i think it was in 2008 um, he was um, he was co-producing with Pow Entertainment a, a manga. He was working with a, a couple of Japanese companies overseas to work on a manga, Ultimo. Ultimo, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, they were doing a panel on it. I was going to say with Hiroyuki Take, the guy who did uh, Shaman King. Yes, yes. And um, you know they were doing a panel on it, and I was running late to that panel. And I was trying to get up to uh, down to Hall A, and I, I snuck into an elevator really quickly. And I look over, and right next to me was Stan and a wow. helper. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, and he was something like, you know, how you doing today, son? And I'm like, uh, good, I'm going to see you on your panel. And he's like, oh, we better get moving then. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really, and I kind of froze up the rest of the time because... By I, the rest of the time, you meant until you were part of this podcast now. <laughs> because I would, I'd still be in that elevator going, right, what did I say? Um, you know, and then I, I got to see him on the, the panel, and I kind of sat in the back of the room. But yeah, I was like, I... Hi. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he just, he, yeah, he was always, like you guys said, he was always very approachable. And it seemed like people really enjoyed working with him. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's something like, not his post Marvel years, but when he started doing Power Entertainment and when he started working on these other projects, like you would see him very present in those other projects. And I think that's, 
maybe you don't get so much from like other producers you, you always kind of felt like you got that from stan yeah if you uh, if you've been on social media in the last few days uh and seen what the professional uh people out there in the world are saying about stan uh i, I mean at the very least you talk about people who after years of having worked with him and kind of like a distant relationship he was in the west coast and they were on the east coast or what have you just that he was always aware of them knew what they were working on eager to work with them mm -hmm. and uh, appreciated them like a letter writer. Like that's something rare. You don't see certainly today. You don't see often. Uh, but it, I think it was uh, amazing. Even if you were a hotshot comic producer or an editor in chief of Marvel to get a letter from Stanley saying you're doing a good job or I like this or um, why did you make my head so small in that cartoon you drew of me? And I, I think that goes a long way to saying how how we'll never really have a full grasp on the contribution that he made to the comics industry. Because I've been seeing lots of lists of characters that Stan Lee co-created. And those are the ones that he gets credit for, that he, he, he actually had a byline on those those comic books. But how many characters are there out there that his name doesn't get put on the page, but he was sitting there as a mentor when the characters, when the creators were sitting there coming up with the ideas, or even just the ones that they read some of his books and were inspired by his takes on oh, things. Oh yeah, once you get into inspiration, I yeah. mean the the I don't think the well will ever go dry. No. Who isn't inspired by something that he had touched directly or indirectly? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Wow, I can honestly say I found out about this man who created everything that I ever loved uh, much later in life. Uh, I was in high school at that point, and he was sort of like the still living uh, Walt Disney of Marvel. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and that's that's who, and he represented that brand and everything that it was so well. The first time I ever heard him, I wasn't even aware who he was. Was I was playing the Spider-Man video game on the PlayStation? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, yes. go on. And he just went on. He made the announcement on what the game was going to be like, and it's like, oh, we're going to have thrills and chills, twists and turns, a great adventure. It's like it's like okay, yeah, all right, buddy, whatever you say. And it was <laughs> wherever you are. All right. <laughs> You got energy. I didn't realize you'd be into video games, Grandpa. But all right, cool. Let's do this. But uh, the first time I ever really saw him and got, had him actually talk about his character, I had bought a DVD uh, from like the old '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Oh yeah, that was filled with extras of him talking about uh, these characters that he had created. Um, this entire rogues gallery of almost every Spider-Man villain, him giving his tidbits on all of them. He's talking about ones that he had created, other ones that he hadn't, and just his opinions. He went on this long tangent about, like, Venom was such a good idea. I really wish I had thought of it. <laughs> like, oh my god. I was just like, like that was really cool. Yeah, I agree with that. And we, we talked a lot about Stan the showman, Stan the salesman. Uh, and not to not to belittle that that is super important when you're trying to make when you're trying to make your industry survive, let alone like I mean this is an mm -hmm. industry that was literally on the chopping block uh, in its early days. But um, there's also uh, the stand the creator, right? So uh, we talk, we hit about it. Mm -hmm. I think earlier Ken was talking about how relatable these characters are, uh, and I think the difference between some of the characters he helps. Um, put on the map, either by directly being involved in creation or creating the aesthetic at the companies he's worked at, is how approachable and how human they are. How, at the end, they all had something about them that made them someone you can 
believe was real given the parameters of the story. Oh, definitely. Or at least basically relatable. I mean, look at Spider-Man initially. He's a teenage kid, and that's primarily who was reading these books. Right. And not only was he a superhero who could punch guys in the face, which we all dreamed we could do, but he was a kid who had problems. He lived, you know, his parents were were gone. He Mm. lived with his aunt. He had a job. He went to school. He still had to try to help make ends meet. Like, we can kind of relate to to that kind of stuff. Right. You know? I mean, even the Fantastic Four, their powers were rooted in their flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What about the Incredible Hulk? I mean, he he took a, you know, giant Frankenstein monster that could level cities and made him relatable on a human level. You were rooting for this guy. And he's he's a monster. I think Stan helped pioneer the way Marvel did its comic books from that point forward. Um, how other companies had created icons, Marvel created those relatable characters that all of us are talking about here. Right. And I think that that's a huge responsibility that later like other companies would even try and replicate. DC, even on Twitter yesterday, honored him by saying he helped change the face of comic books in their you know honoring him tweet. I, I think that's uh, that's something not unique to Stan, but certainly that makes him stand out is that he's one of those unique one of those people that everyone in your industry respects, whether you were a competitor, whether you you know, butted heads with him creatively. I don't think there's anybody in the industry that would say that he wasn't formative. He wasn't a driving force behind the way people saw comic books. I mean, even with particular things that he did, right? Wasn't he known for challenging like the comics code back in the, was it 70s? Yeah, that's yeah true. definitely. That's right? true. And yeah, the, talk about social justice warrior. Uh, Stan Lee is first on the list. <laughs> He's all about uh, diversity in comics and having new voices and representation and and having like comics as a platform where they could talk about social ills. Yeah, comics. From what I understand, it like comics had difficulty talking about problems like drugs and things like that because they just like couldn't even mention it. Like you can't put that stuff in front of kids. And mm-hmm. the impression I always got was that Stan was big on. Well, but we we can be a force to talk about these things in a good way by telling people they're bad or we shouldn't do them, you know, and, and Stan really pushed to allow them to tell those sorts of stories. So much that in a Spider-Man book, he he challenged it and then just had them publish the book without the code authority on it. Right. Just to see if anything was going to happen. And there was no fallout. So we talked big picture of how much and how great he is. And we talked a little, a couple of big uh, little picture stuff. But I want to go back into the to the memory well, uh, if we can. Um, uh, Ken, I know we had a, shared a story about some early Stanley interviews, some of our, our early experiences with Stanley talking. Uh, first of all, his, his VHS interview oh. series is one of the few things I want to bring up. Uh, you you take over that one, and I, I want to break up another one that's going to make you equally freaked out. Well, I don't know if anybody remembers, but back in the early to mid '90s, uh, Marvel had lost a bunch of their top creative talents. Yeah. Yep. Um, and after they had left, I don't know if it was something that started prior to this, <laughs> if it was in production <laughs> prior to this, but it was actually it was total, definitely during this time. Um, he got some of the greatest creators: Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee. 
arguably Rob Liefeld. Um, <laughs> Wait, he, I would say Rob Liefeld. Wait, did I you think say? Did you we, say he arguably got Rob Liefeld, or oh, Rob Adam Liefeld okay was with. arguably? If you're, if you're not sure if Rob Liefeld was really there, or, or if it was just a cutout, <laughs> that's fine. But Rob Liefeld gets a lot of flack for no. I, I don't know. It was somebody wearing button fly jeans. <laughs> I love those jeans. Uh, Got all those uh, creators together, and Stanley hosted the comic book Great series on VHS, where it was an interview section where he would talk to them about working in the business, how they got in, how their art, where they're inspired by their art, and the second half was a how-to, and the guys would do their illustrations and teach people how to draw. That was so cool. Yes, that was so awesome. And regardless of the animosity, everyone came together and was enjoying it, laughing, even if a couple of jokes or zingers were thrown uh, to each other back and forth. I right. remember I remember uh, Tom throwing a zinger saying, well, you know, it's nothing like my guy Spawn, but, you know. <laughs> and then, you there's know. There's a lot, but there's then, a lot and, like your guy Spawn. And Tom. then McFarlane going, and, and then McFarlane kind of like forgetting, that, uh, getting nailed after the zinger by saying, oh yeah, I forgot how to draw an arm doing this, so I'm just going to put a smoke screen on it to oh, show how nice. I'm not a hack. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of playful banter back and right. forth. Right, they were they were a lot of fun to watch. Right, uh, so that that was a good one. The a stranger one, I think an older one, that I only found out about later in life were the vinyl records, the read along comics. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That had Stan's voice narrating, and that were the most the dulcet tones of Stan Lee there must have been if you've ever heard one of these records and maybe we'll put a sample right now it's mid-afternoon in New York City through the din of midday traffic is heard a strange explosion a symbol takes shape in the city's sky and a legend you is would born. hear Stan saying things but he was super chill so not so much those records as I remember the the radio, the radio show yeah. of the Fantastic Four. That yeah. was interesting. I didn't even think that was him at first. Yeah, it's, it's there must have been something in the studio he was recording that in. Maybe they're like, listen, we can't. You can't get too excited. You can't go too high or too low. <laughs> yeah, this is for AM, so you got to keep it right in the middle. That may have been it. They may have been doing it for AM and didn't want to modulate too much. A after knowing Stan Lee and then hearing, I was like, did he just wake up that morning and record it? Is that what happened? <laughs> he must have got to sleep at some point. I assumed he was the kind of guy that, that sprung out of bed and he would just like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That, so that was a that was a fun early memory. Does anybody else have uh, any kind of memories about your? Uh, honestly, we this is where we should segue into your uh, Spider. Man video game. <laughs> Who is this guy? I think the uh, beyond the uh, the soapbox. My first real uh, time when I I, I understood uh, understood who Stan Lee was was watching his cameo in Kevin Smith's Mallrats. Oh yeah, All right, yeah. Uh, which I mean, it's not not a cameo in the sense of his later Marvel Universe cameos, but. I mean, he, he, he had, had a long yeah he had monologue time he had a monologue there that was yeah. a I actually used that monologue to uh to audition for a uh, play once <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. yeah uh, but uh, <laughs> you know Brody's obsession with uh, superhero yeah. uh, genitalia <laughs> yeah and that was it was a really great scene that you can tell Kevin Smith wrote with love. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much input Stan had into that. 
I, but it felt like his voice. It certainly did. In that he did it even, and it felt like Ke- uh, Kevin Smith and Stanley's voice. Kevin yeah. Smith is making the uh, superhero junk jokes, and uh, Stanley's like, that doesn't really matter. Let's let's focus on the thing that matters. And it's like, oh, perfect. The thing. Is this dork made of orange rock like the rest of his body? <laughs> it's a superhero secret. Yeah. yeah. It's like either either way, I mean, it, you saw Stanley's heart coming out of there. Yeah. And it, it was it was a brilliant thing. It's a testimony to how well he connected with his fans that some young fanboy writer writing his second script right knew the man so well that he could write in his voice. I it it, it just blew me away and you know, it went back to solidifying that role as uh, every, every comic book fan's grandfather. Right. Speaking of uh, Stan Lee and Kevin Smith, there's that great like interview series that of uh, Smith interviewing Stan Lee. Uh, Mutants, Monsters, and Mayhem, I think it's called. Yep. Oh wow. It's it's just really fascinating, and because he just goes on these like very long like just stories about where all this came from. And the Fantastic Four was really just like, hey, we need to like compete with the Justice League. Stan, come up with like a, like a team of superheroes. And just like everything kind of came like, you know, it was like the train was coming. You had to throw tracks in front of the train, but or else, you know, it was going to derail. Like it was, everything was just, that's, it was crazy. And just hearing all of those details and that, like him recounting all of it with such love and admiration for what he did and the people he was working with. And it was, oh my God. Like it's it's a really great series. I think it's a great interview, and I think Smith does a good job, um, kind of like bouncing off of him and giving him you know the, the questions that he needs. It's just oh my god! I can listen to hours of memoirs from Stanley. Everything in his books, the 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 memoirs he actually wrote or, or ghost wrote. It, it's they're all really fascinating snapshots of an early career in this industry that may or may not work out. Uh, and making it into this uh, powerhouse, the choices to move to California, to get into branding, to get into these thi- like it's all just really purely fascinating stuff. Does anybody remember the television show Who Wants to Be a Superhero? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God. Absolutely. <laughs> we've, Absolutely. We've interviewed people from that show yeah. on the network. Yeah. So I feel like that's one of the things where I remember a lot of Stan. I watched a lot of sci-fi in uh, what was called 2005, <laughs> 2006. And, uh, you know, that show, they were always playing it. it. I think it ran for two seasons, but they, they re-ran it a bunch as well. And he would always relate back to his work or things he'd done when he was trying to tell these people who were running around in costumes trying to be real superheroes. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, why, you know, Spider-Man would make that choice or why you know, uh, Bruce Banner would do something like that, or, or even why, you know, other famous heroes would right. act the way they did. And he's he's lent his strengths to uh, lots of different, like, docu-series that explore superhuman behavior in real people and stuff like that. James, you mentioned at least two different product projects that Stan did after Marvel, and I feel like it's amazing that the man's career has never really wound down. He's always done something... And that's just, that's on another level mind-boggling, how you could be so influential for so long in so many different ways. The Onion posted an article, uh, or at least a headline, when Stan passed, and it was uh, Stan Lee, beloved creator of Stan Lee Marvel character, (laughs) And you know what? That is both a little mean and also like really funny and right. It, the the personality, 
the stand the man, the character that we all know, whether it's from his awkward introductions to things that just I, very jarring as a child watching a 90s cartoon and then having a real person show up and say something for a few <laughs> minutes. But or the stance soapbox where you felt like, oh, there's a person behind all this who's writing all this. Or if it's, you know, just the um, the cameos in the movies, it's just this this loving energetic persona really did make this thing we're all into this it's not just comic books it's this genre this this lifestyle make it like acceptable for all and i think a big factor in why geek is chic now all over the place and he definitely had a love for all of that like i again going back to the uh docu the the interview with uh, Kevin Smith, there's extras on that where they take a tour of his home. It's filled with like Marvel memorabilia and collectibles in like Detolf shelves behind like glass cases. And it's just, it's crazy because like he clearly like not just loved his work, but loved the entirety of that like genre and like that industry. There was an appreciation for it that I don't, I don't think ever went unnoticed. I got to say, I'm a little envious of the man. I mean, how many of us, would uh, would would be willing to walk home into a stuff filled with stuff from work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was his job, man, and all his 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 entire personal life is lined with work. Yeah, and and his private life. When yeah. you think about it, I mean his his like whirlwind seventy year love affair with Joan and and all the people who have meant so much to him in his life who've like come out afterwards to speak uh, well of him and and all the people he's touched it's amazing uh, going back to amazing anecdotes like is is it true that he was like going out with his wife for 3 days and then they went to Reno for a quickie divorce so he they could get married I, I want to follow I up on that. It's just like, so. but like, it's the legend. Even yeah. if that story is not true, the fact that it's like spread around is just like part of the like amazing. I don't get it. Who, who did he divorce? No, 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 no. He uh, had an affair with Joe, and she was married. Oh, I didn't and know then that. they ah. went to Reno so she could get divorced and they could get married. Oh, wow! I, don't know I didn't know that they did quickie divorces. But Joan was on, was also part of a lot of this stuff too. Um, like she was in the nineties. Uh, Spider-Man series as a major character. She was Madame Web. Madam Web yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Obviously, the passing of Stanley is a momentous occasion, and everyone at NomPro wanted to be part of this memorial show. I actually got a chance to sit with uh, John Minus and John Trumbull separately, and they've got a couple memories they'd like to share, too. Trumbull, you uh, yes. had the honor of talking to quite a number of people, comic book professionals, who gave you uh, some, some moments that they most remember that they loved for your article on the Atomic Junk Shop. Yeah, I write for a magazine called Back Issue from Tomorrow's uh, Publishing, and so I've interviewed a lot of comic book professionals over the years. So I just uh, sent out a mass email uh, asking them, hey, if you have any memories of Stan you want to share... We'd love to hear them. We'd love to just gather them in one place. I heard back from, uh, I think it was about 15 or so people. So. Wow. Do you have like a favorite story you'd like to share with us right now? I think my favorite might be one that uh, wasn't a part of, of the, the oh, column nice. that I did. It was uh, a story that Kurt Busiek, uh, who you probably know from Astro City, Mm -hmm. and he, he's also written some Marvel books. He wrote uh, Avengers and Thunderbolts and Iron Man and a few other things. Um, he talked about, like, he, fir he first met Stan, he interviewed him uh, by phone when he was writing for Marvel Age, which was the in-house uh, promotional book. 
that they did. But the first time he met Stan Lee in person was when he was out at the San Diego Comic-Con and he had forgotten to pack underwear. So he went <laughs> to a local store and was buying underwear to wear for that week. And Stan Lee was there doing the same thing. <laughs> so nice. I love that story. I, I, I mean... The secret lives of uh, comic book professionals, of comic book legends. That's great. I just love that they both forgot to pack underwear and they both went to the same place to buy new underwear to wear. I, I think that's a great story. Yeah. All right. So my favorite uh, from the uh, the articles you had posted mm-hmm. yes. uh, was Rick Hoberg. Yes. Uh, who uh, well, uh, He was doing Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends at the time. Right. Or he was doing storyboarding for them and uh, also did some like Sunday strips for Stan on the side. Right. He was, he was working on the Amazing Spider-Man uh, newspaper strip. He was working on the Sunday strips so that the, uh, Fred Keita, the guy who was doing the daily strips, had a chance to catch up on his deadlines. So a bit. you should definitely check out this article on Atomic Junk Shop, uh, junk shop because it, it goes into great detail. But the image of Stan posing, like getting a chair, going up against the wall, and posing the way he wants Spider-Man to mm-hmm. appear in the strip is just very vivid. And it's so fun to hear stories about how excitable and um, animated animated Stanley was, even behind closed doors. This wasn't something like the convention floor. Mm-hmm. He wasn't talking to a huge audience or anything. This was private. This was just to an artist who was and, working and on And that something. was apparently a, a pretty common thing for Stan, where, where he would just jump up on his desk and be like, this is how this hero should be punching out the villain. Right. And... Uh, I, I, I lapsed into a little bit of a Stan voice there. Yeah. It just, it just comes out. I, I grew up hearing the man narrate those episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends and right. the Incredible Hulk cartoon. And it would just be like, hi, true believers, this is Stan Lee. And he would just, that voice just gets ingrained in your head. Yeah. I, I You know what? I completely forgot that he did the narration for mm-hmm. uh, for the Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. So what are your uh, some of your earliest most foundational memories of 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 the man? Well, gosh, I was I was watching that cartoon when I was 10, so um that was that was definitely one of them. Um I think I I don't know if I can remember the, like the first Stan Lee comic I ever read because he's he's just one of those guys who's like always there. Yeah. Um, one of the earliest was probably uh, getting a paperback copy of Origins of Marvel Comics, which was this uh, book collection uh, that they did in the 70s that reprinted the first stories of the various uh, frontline Marvel characters like Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor, uh, Doctor Strange, and I'm probably forgetting somebody who was in there. And then it would reprint a more recent story from like later in the 60s or early 70s just to show how the characters had changed through the years. And Stan Lee had written essays introducing them, just talking about how the the, the creation process of those characters. That's awesome. Or at, le- or at least how Stan remembered that. I yeah, mean. <laughs> and I, I think, like I, I said early in the show, I could listen to hours of uh, memoirs from Stan Lee just talking about the early days of comics. And even in his later days, as he spoke uh, so 
like warmly of all the people who helped him along the way and all the people he worked with along the way from like his early editors to uh, people he he helped create the Marvel universe with mm-hmm. to people he's gone on to work with since uh, and people who've used his creations as like the sounding board to make these amazing movies and cartoon shows and and products it's always it always seemed like he loved the work he loved yeah. the 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 field. I mean, he, yeah, I, I don't think there was a bigger booster of or ambassador for comics than Stan Lee. And he was, he was a great spokesman for comics. He was a great guy to go on talk shows because he's, he's this charismatic, talkative guy and very animated, he makes a good guest and obviously enthusiastic about the subject. Right. I mean, and, you know, artists aren't really good at being faces because artists are usually like kind of introverted and, Weird, true, they stay in the shadows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had the artists and letters. We and all stuff. disagreed with that. We're like, yeah, yeah, sure, artists but, are creeps. But, like, I, I forgot, I watched one documentary about it. And what what's the people talk about the longevity of the characters that came out in the 60s from Marvel, but I heard they, the one of the most important things is how many of those characters were made in such a short time, yes. There's like, a very sustained period of creativity. Like Stan, like they created so many characters. Like in a burst, like everybody you see in the main light, in the in the limelight now, came out in like like a year of each other. Well, at least a five year period, I yeah, would say. A five year period, and and they affected so many people. Like I've seen so many people talk about it. Was it? It's this month. I just started reading Doctor Strange. The original like stories? No, um, I started, it's uh, the 2015 to 2018 run. Okay. So I'm just now getting into Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. There's so much more. I mean, like all this time, like I've been reading comic books most, what, like three quarters of my life. And there's still so much to do. And that's all from, you know, a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's amazing how how much content was created by, you know, like three or four people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, de- definitely. And I mean, like, yeah, what what you were saying is that how artists can sometimes be introverted, not the best spokesman. I mean, that was certainly the true in the case of Stan's two big collaborators, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. Because I mean, Steve Ditko is a guy who actively shunned publicity, mm-hmm. and he he had a very he he was a big devotee of uh, Ayn Rand, and so he, his approach was very much my work is me. And you don't really need to get an interview with me or find out more right. about that. Know so me just, through my work. Yeah. Exactly. And that was his attitude. And, and he didn't even like to be photographed. I don't think there are any photographs that exist of Steve Ditko outside of the early 60s. Um, and uh, Jack Kirby uh, was a guy. There, there are on-camera interviews with him. But uh, the way his mind worked was so unique. Like Kirby was such a creative guy. His mind would go from A to Z without necessarily showing you all the steps in between. So he was sometimes tough to follow as a public speaker. Right. And uh, Stan Lee, you could, you could follow along. And oh. Stan Lee could, could sometimes translate some of Kirby's more out-there ideas into a more easily digestible form, I would say. Yeah, and you could see that in if you, you follow Kirby's work in, in, in New Gods versus things he's worked with. Absolutely. Right? With, yeah. with Stan Lee, where you could see that how the dialogue flows. And from. Like, yeah, a- absolutely. And I mean, there, there are people who are like, oh, well, you know, Kirby did the stories. All Stan Lee did was the dialogue. Just doing the dialogue is huge. Right. Because the dialogue can completely change the story. 
Mm-hmm. And it, uh, and if you want to know what Stan Lee did, all you have to do is compare, like, say, Fantastic Four or Thor with some of the New God stuff that Kirby did solo yeah. in the 70s. And they read completely differently just because the two men thought pretty differently. Right. And, like, the the dialogue or scripting that Stan could do on a Kirby story could change it into a completely different story, which is part of why they ultimately ended up breaking up the partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've been called like the Lennon McCartney of comics. And I think there's a lot to that with, with all that implies with uh, the fantastic chemistry that they had and also the, the disagreements that they had. Also the huge number of people who, uh, rose up and overthrew their country because of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about that Lennon, right? Exactly. Good. Good. Yes. Yeah. Latveria. I mean, there are a couple more things that, that Stanley did that were rather revolutionary for the time. I mean, like what I was saying with the dialogue, he, the way he differentiated the character dialogue, uh, if you read, like, say, a Justice League comic from the early 60s, the dialogue is pretty interchangeable among the characters. Like, uh, uh, the Flash could say the same thing as Green Lantern or yeah. Superman, yeah, and absolutely. it wouldn't make too much difference to the story. With what Stan Lee did, Doctor Strange didn't sound remotely like The Thing or Reed Richards or Spider-Man. They all had their distinctive speech patterns. And and that was that was revolutionary for the time. Uh, the the stuff Stanley did just putting credits in the books so people knew who did these comic books that was revolutionary. Yeah, we talked about that time. during the show. It, that there was a time where like either whether you were embarrassed to be a part of this or mm-hmm. if there was a the conceit that no one would care how the sausage is made and you'd be a credit hog mm-hmm. for even talking about it. Mm-hmm. That that. That was something Stan was very much against. I mean, the the reason we call Jack Kirby the King is because he was called Jack King Kirby in the in the credits, the opening, <laughs> the credit boxes, and and just the stuff that Stanley did uh, in terms of the promotion uh, with stuff like the bullpen bulletins page or the letters pages, where he just sort of talked directly to the readers, and it really made the reader feel like a part of a larger thing. And and that really made a really diff- a big difference, and it really built the Marvel fandom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean that that was revolutionary for the time. Yeah, and it definitely helped basically catapult Marvel from maybe a number two, number three publisher of kitty books that would never last to mm-hmm. being something that is a, a, a keystone to popular culture now. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys very much for your uh, your contributions to our memorial episode. Uh, so, l- listen, the, the elephant in the room that we choose to acknowledge here is uh, <laughs> that uh, many people, a great many people, will know Stanley and Marvel Comics and comics in general from this phenomenon that has hit in the last decade, which are these movies that have become super popular. They've reached, we've reached geek mainstream acceptance. Whether that's a, a monkey's paw wish come true or not, we're not going to address, but it is a thing. So... From these movies and from Stanley cameos, what are our favorites? Let's do a quick roundtable. James, if you raise your hand and take mine, I'm going to kill you. James, go. The Amazing Spider-Man. You <laughs> could go straight to hell. Was that him was in, that the the one, yeah, him yeah, in the, the library? Him in the library? With the fight scene yeah. going yes. on there. It's where, and despite the fact that that movie's just okay, when Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, and the Lizard are fighting in the library... Um, and Stanley's got the headphones on and yeah. he's just, um, you know, cleaning up and doing his That's thing. A good one. That's and great. it's, it's just, it is so funny. 
I can't believe I get to go next. Yeah, All right, go, no yeah. other hand went up. All right, good. My actual favorite was from Spider-Man Homecoming, where he is yelling at Spider-Man uh, from the apartment building. He's just cursing him out with everybody else, <laughs> like anybody else. That is the most real New York I have ever seen in that movie. Where they're like, hey, you the Spider-Man, do a flip. And he does a flip, and he's like, all right, good. <laughs> that is New York. And then having someone just yelling at you while you're being a hero or yelling at other people. I can't remember exactly the, the consequences, but that was brilliant. I'm going to go with probably one of the most weird ones that he did, and that had to be Thor Ragnarok. When they had oh, him up yeah, as one of the aliens, good. and he had that weird suit armor thing on him, and yeah. he had like the metal claw he, hands. He was the barber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> that's great, dude. Like that is the weirdest thing you could put him in. Yeah, like how do you even walk around in it? That's so awesome. Please, kind sir, don't cut my hair. <laughs> uh, I've got. I'm, I'm going to do a more obscure one, I guess. Uh, but I have to go with his role as in the, in the Fantastic Four. As Willie Lumpkin. Yeah, yeah, that was a that's a strong one. Yeah, that, that was, was good. because I think I don't know for a fact, but I figure that had to be one of the most per- intensely personal ones yeah. for him. Because for those of you who don't know, Willie Lumpkin was the Fantastic Four's mailman. Yeah, and that was a character that he created for a comic strip, not not like like a like a newspaper comic strip that he port. It, it, it was he was the character was created in order to make his comic strip about city life more appealing to small-town America. Oh, wow. And he took that character and ported him into the Marvel Comics universe when he started doing comic books. That's awesome. Made him the Fantastic Four's uh, mailman and eventually ended up playing him in the movies. I thought that was great. Great pull, Pete. Yeah, I remember them making a huge deal about that because it was the first time he had like a significant cameo instead of like, oh, Spider-Man's grabbing the debris so it doesn't crush Stan Lee or something right, like that. Right, yeah. Like in the, I think his earliest cinematic universe, actually it's not even cinematic universe, was like X-Men and he was like hot dog vendor guy. Yeah. yeah. Like you wouldn't even notice. His most recent, which actually isn't a MCU thing, uh, if anybody played the Spider-Man PS4 game, he no. uh, he's the owner of the Italian restaurant and he's and he sees Mary Jane and Spider-Man post a breakup sees them back together and it's like oh you are always my favorite together and I'm sitting there because this happened right after he died I'm watching this scene and I'm crying in my room playing uh. this game Tony Stank <laughs> I, I really have to say that's my favorite one uh, speaking of mailman right I mean like yeah. And that one absolutely just really kind of nailed that entire scene and really helped that movie along, I think, in the last five minutes of it, give it a little bit of levity after all the drama. And he just, he, God, he's so good in that moment. Oh. Head Which can- movie head was that? Cannon by- uh, Civil War. Yeah. That was a Civil War, yeah. My head cannon, by the way, that is Willie Lumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> he, he ended up getting a job with FedEx. <laughs> so I have um, uh, one quick tidbit and uh, one quick, I guess, honorable mention cameo. Um the, the tidbit is his first cameo is actually um, in the Incredible Hulk TV series. He's a oh, yeah, juror. Right. Actually, the trial of the Incredible, Incredible Hulk, yes. one of the TV movies. The TV movies. I'm sorry. You're yeah. right. It's You're okay. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's one of the jurors. That's his first live action cameo. I believe then, he was the foreman. Yeah, and then from there it was... <laughs> You're not getting a no prize, Pete. <laughs> I don't want to. I just want to show up James. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we all know that you are way better at this than I am. All right. Mm-hmm. We don't need to rub it in. Um, and then I'd actually just watched the Teen Titans Go movie the other day, mm. and he has an extended cameo in that. Wow. Which was hilarious. He really has transcended any of the books he's worked on to just the, I, the 
the medium of comics, which is getting really right up there to, like I said, mythology. I said American mythology at the start of the show, but, you know, it's it's spreading through mm-hmm. everywhere. And I think it's just it's just who we are as geeks now. We are we're all Stanley's creations. Um I, I, you know what? I'm I'm honored to be amongst his true believers. Uh, I'm sure everybody else in the network is as well. Uh, we miss you, Stan, but you will not be forgotten. You are with us forever. So from everyone here at non-productive.com, Excelsior! Enough said. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.